Today on Compassion Radio. We've seen the recent attacks of churches in Chhattisgarh state, constant reports of oppression, persecution against Christians across North India. One of the things that they have been doing very systematically is going through state by state and passing anti-conversion laws. India's constitution guarantees freedom of religion, but those anti-conversion laws make it impossible to move from one religion to another. When you hang out with frontline people, you get frontline reports. Hi, Bram Floria here with Compassion Radio, the daily journal of the world as it really is, from the people who live it firsthand. Thanks for tuning our way today. We've talked a lot about persecution on this program, and for good reason. This week, it struck very close to home for us, as you'll hear today from one of our closest partners and dear friends of Compassion Radio. They're willing to go anywhere God leads, but this time, the story is right in the middle of their home territory in the mountainous tribal country of Northeast India. We'll get started with that update right now. John Podiety, welcome back to Compassion Radio. It's not what we expected for our next interview, but here we are. Well, good to be here, Bram, and good to be talking with you. You're on the road right now in California, and as you were getting ready to travel out there for an important family issue, big news came in from India. You were kind enough to forward on to us some information about that, but it's been very sketchy on our end. It's something I know our Compassion Radio listeners are going to want to hear about and to be praying for in the days to come. When you sent the message to me, it was an urgent one, but it wasn't really a complete message. So if you could, for the benefit of our listeners, let me know who the parties are involved here and what the issue is that's happening with your extensive ministry in Northeast India. Something big has happened in the past couple of days. Yes, Bram, I sent you those uh, messages and things. They might have been a little bit cryptic, but it's a situation that has been rapidly developing with the things that we were hearing just literally an hour, hour and a half ago. This is escalating. It's so volatile. There's a lot of false stuff, and the media in India is not publishing, printing any of this. I'm sure. That's what I've been hearing from partners in other parts of India and Delhi and Hyderabad and, you know, across India. They're like, we're not seeing any of this. Or they're downplaying it to this little thing, and it certainly is. And unfortunately, it's been going the wrong way as things have gotten really violent. It remains a volatile situation even today. This totally caught us blindsided and really just knocked us all for a loop. But basically, the issue is that we have in the state of Manipur two distinct people groups. And these are the Metes who inhabit the valley area. They make up about 60% of this state and they are probably 95% Hindu, I would say. So barely 5%, if that, uh, Christian. And then we have the uh, tribals who inhabit the hills that circle the entire valley of the state. And they are completely evangelized people groups. And so they're about 40% of the state. Unfortunately, this has come up. It started on some political levels where the Métis have seen that the tribals have certain advantages and benefits that are given to them from the government by having tribal status. It's not unlike, you could say, the Native American First Nations situation here in America, that we see there's certain provisions that the government makes in terms of scholarships quotas and things like that for entrance into education for different types of government assistance. So the Métis, some of them have been pushing to have this recognized tribal status 
even though that was something that they were completely against when India got its independence and when they got statehood in the early 1970s. But now they are seeing that they want this. And if they were to take this, then the entire state becomes basically tribal. A lot of those benefits would actually go away for everybody because there is no minority anymore. They're all tribals. Right. But uh, they've been pushing this through legally and it's gone through the Manipur bench of the regional high court. And so they've been really pushing this over the last couple of years. At the same time, the current government, which is led by the BJP party, has pushed through the extension, I would say, of a forest preserve area, which was originally around one village in one valley and hill area. And they've tried to extend the boundaries of this by a very different interpretation of how those boundaries are written. And they're extending it literally um, over 100 miles and Mm. into areas that are inhabited by many villages of the tribals. In so doing, whole villages have been told they're essentially squatting on government property. And so they have been relocated. Their village has been completely dismantled or destroyed. And so they continue to extend this boundary in toward the south, and it touches a lot of areas in the uh, Churchampur district that are inhabited by tribals, that are predominantly Christian, and even affects a lot of our mission land and property. Numerous villages are now being touched by the proposed extension of these boundaries. The tribal groups there banded together and had a peaceful rally protesting these moves by the government. It was countered by another rally by the Maytays, which became violent with some incidents of arson. It has just escalated from there. Unfortunately, the first place of attack was the churches, Hmm. most of which were established by the various tribes through their respective denominations. And so it has turned into really what I would say is a religious conflict, Hindus versus Christians, though it started as a political conflict. But the fact that the Métis took it straight to the churches just somehow leads you to believe that there's a little more agenda going on here than what's going on on the surface. Yeah. That there's some real beyond rivalries. It betrays or belies that there's a real strong anti-Christian move behind this. Well, John, you and I have talked a number of times about the political situation in India for the past few years with the resurgence of Hindu militism and how it's been pouring out most of its wrath on the Muslim population of the north, but does not mean that the Christian populations have been outside the conflict zone or they have not been affected by this resurgence. There does seem to be a very strong and vocal majority in India that is claiming India for the Hindus. And therefore, they're stating claim to all of the territory of India to be completely anti any other religion. And so they've been taking out a lot of aggression on people groups that would be considered minorities in their nation, but are not small. We're talking about tens or hundreds of millions of people that worship in a way not Hindu. And your section of India, where your tribe comes from, the people that you arise from that accepted the gospel over the past hundred years or so, have become a very missional and mission-focused organization and culture. You send people out, you bring the gospel, and you improve the livelihoods of villages and towns all across that region of India and Southeast Asia, from which the whole Bibles for the World movement became something that was international and which you lead now. So, since it's something that's tied into a very deep agenda that is not only anti-Christian but very nationalist for India— 
What do you think is going to be the fallout for your congregations and your people in the days to come? Well, it's really hard to project how this is going to go. I mean, I'll tell you, even in the last hour, I've received reports that nine have been killed Hmm. today. And so this is escalating. This area has a history of insurgency of various anti-national, anti-government activity from all the different tribes, a number of different tribes. And we've heard that the Maytes have had their own underground. They've been under some kind of a, a ceasefire situation. But it really seems that there's collusion with the current state government because they kind of opened up the armory. And in one report, we heard there were 2,000 arms that were taken out of storage and they were handed over to the insurgents. Those are now roaming the streets of the state on various uh, missions and things. So this is the level to which it's escalated. On the national level, as you referred to, you know, as the BJP has come to power, They have a Hindutva policy and they are, you know, in collusion with some of the really fanatic Hindu groups, including the RSS, the Vishwa Hindu Parishad and others. You know, these are people who are tied to the Graham Stains murder, the Bajrang Dal, Hmm. people like that. And so these groups feel very empowered right now because they know that the politics, the political power at the center, at the federal level is behind them. They can do pretty much anything with impunity. Um, We've seen the recent attacks of churches in Chhattisgarh state. We've seen just constant reports of oppression, persecution against Christians across North India. In the last couple of years, it's just really escalated. One of the things that they have been doing very systematically is going through state by state and passing anti-conversion laws. And the anti-conversion laws are such that India's constitution guarantees freedom of religion. It's written there. But those anti-conversion laws make it impossible to move from one religion to another. Mm -hmm. If you are born a Hindu, you stay Hindu. You're born a Muslim, you stay Muslim. That's okay. But if you try to move from Hinduism or Islam to Christianity, that becomes illegal. Along with that, as they have enacted these laws in the different states, some of the states have made it automatic imprisonment for anybody charged with breaking that law. Oftentimes it's non-bailable, mm-hmm. automatic six-month imprisonment. Things like that are happening literally on a weekly basis across North India. So this is the context now in which this our remote part of Northeast India is functioning within the country and with that same political party now in power in the state. They have really revealed their agenda, and that is to displace the tribals, which are Christian people groups, from their land, and also to try to get any government benefits, things like that, to take those away from the tribals. So while there's a political or social agenda, it is also very much wrapped up in the religious sentiment of the country at this point. It seems like a pretty small toolkit here, and it sounds very similar to me to the methodology used by the militant Buddhists in Burma to displace the Rohingya Muslims and shove them out of the country by cutting off all access to legal or civil or humanitarian resources and then judging them to be in abridgment of some arcane law they've just created and therefore using it as a pretext to actually go attack them because they are, by nature being who they are, are in opposition to the government and therefore are terrorists. 
and therefore you can do anything you want to them. I can see how that logic cascades down into some serious violence here. And obviously, I want our people to be praying specifically for the protection of the Christian communities, which, as you say, are primarily tribals and occupy most of the upper lands of the district and the state. By elevation, you can say this is kind of a demarcation point where you're likely to find Christian peoples living versus Hindu peoples who are out of covetousness, demanding that the government swipe away all of the benefits that these First Nation peoples had there before they arrived and do something different. It seems like they're illogically shooting themselves in the foot here because if they really do want improvement of lifestyle and economics in their state, they would be trying to promote ways to increase commerce and security, not doing the opposite. Friends, before we jump back, I just want to remind you that Compassion Radio is a communications ministry, and it depends on the faithful support of you to keep bringing inspiring stories to the air each day. Our vision partners support us monthly and make it possible for us to take you to the very front lines of faith. Whether you join our vision team or make a one-time gift, thank you for believing in and standing by this ministry. Our continuing project in 2023 is to provide more Bibles through our partner, Bibles for the World. Please give generously today so that we can help send more copies of the Gospel of John for new believers, along with New Testaments and full Bibles for those growing in their faith. Many of those Bibles are needed right now in Vietnam as the door stands wide open to receive these gifts and serve the church there. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478 to make your gift. You can also text the word COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone or visit our website, CompassionRadio.com. Thank you, friends, for everything you've done and what you'll do today. They really do want improvement of lifestyle and economics in their state. They would be trying to promote ways to increase commerce and security, not doing the opposite. Obviously, it's more than just an economic or political question. This goes to the heart of the passions of religion that don't always respect logic. So, obviously, we got to pray for the safety of your people. Right. We need to pray, especially for those who are from the different tribal groups, whether they're Kuki, Mar. Paite, Naga, that are living in Imphal in the Central Valley. I received a report yesterday that 5,000 of them had taken shelter in the military camp Mm. in Imphal because their houses had been burned, that had been attacked. They were being destroyed. It includes even five of our churches now have been attacked. (sighs) And let's see, two of our pastors, two of our church elders, and two significant church members had completely lost their homes. That's just five churches out of uh, reports now crossing 45, 50, and they keep trickling in here. So we're just seeing this tremendous onslaught. If this was a political thing, why didn't they go in and confront the political leaders Mm -hmm. or the social or civic leaders? Rather, they went straight for the churches. It betrays their real heart and what their intent is. And at the same time, it just shows their cowardice. Those churches were totally unguarded. It's just beyond our imagination the way it's unfolding here. I imagine the emotional core of this for you is to rise up and defend because it's your people being attacked. This is very natural. At the same time, you are a spiritual leader of a group of churches, communities, fellowships, hospitals, schools. It is a very large network of people that are missionally committed to making the world a peaceable place in which to exercise your freedom of conscience and to discover the gospel. That is your passion. So how do you lead your people, John, in a time like this so that it doesn't just engender more violence and retribution from your people? 
in response to the injustices they've experienced recently? Well, you know, from the time it started, we've been, of course, praying for peace, praying that this may subside. And we've been sending those messages to our leaders in the field, in the different villages and in the town areas and in the capital city that we need to seek peaceful solution for this. We need to, you know, not retaliate or not act in revenge in any of this case. But now they've got the Internet shut off in the state. And so it's very difficult to get information in and out of there. And it's being relayed to us through contacts in a different state, a different part of India. Through those, we're continuing to send that information or send those admonitions that we need to be as Christ was, as he has suffered for us. We will suffer for our faith. But at the same time, we need to be strong. We need to look to him, um, seek him for our protection and for comfort and for that strength and patience and peace that can only come from him at this time. And you can't be there to stand with your people right now because of other things that God has put on your plate. You probably feel torn a bit. And at the same time, you don't want to run the risk of your family without a dad, without a husband. The dangers are real. If you had your preference, would you be in India helping to lead this effort to reconciliation and stopping the violence? Or do you see yourself as commanded by God to stand outside for right now and be a bridge to the West? That's a tough question, Bram. I mean, I oscillate on that. I'm like, I want to be there right now. I want to be there. But then I also know I've got to keep sharing this message and just helping parse through all the stuff that's coming out of there because there's a fair amount of false things being posted on social media, propaganda, as it were, Mm -hmm. things that are getting exaggerated. And so we've been trying to verify things, make sure that the numbers, the counts, everything is real from a distance. We want to portray it accurately and Mm -hmm. really understand the situation. At the same time, we shall see in the days and weeks to come um, you know, whether I shoot in there or not. And you know my wife, Lom, she's ready to go in any minute here. Lom's got a lot of political blood in her. Her father was a political activist, mm-hmm. and she's just chomping at the bit. And I'm like, hey, we got to remember how we are called to be peacemakers here yeah. in this situation. Even this morning, she said, you know, I'm going. I'm like, hey, I'm in California, and you are not going. Uh, and we do have kids here. <laughs> yeah, and we know that there will come a time at some point, whether it's in the next few weeks or whether this may take a month or more to cool down. We have heard that the central government is sending in military forces, and we trust that they will be there to keep the peace and will not get somehow swayed or pulled into it one side or the other. But we know that there will come a time of relief and rebuilding from this. There are so many who have lost everything they had that basically escaped with a shirt on their back. They fled into the uh, military camps. And some have fled into the jungles, and we've received reports from some of our people who said, you know, we're out in the jungle. We don't even know where we are. We just ran. Hmm. And what we were wearing, that's all we have. And and then from the hill there, they watched their their village being torched. We just know there's going to be a lot of things we're going to need to do in terms of relief, getting people food, clothing, basic necessities. Yeah you know, in the early stages, and then it's going to be rebuilding. And we're one church there. I've already added up. It's in terms that we've crossed a million dollars worth of property damage to the church properties and to seven or eight key members' homes. Yeah, They went after some of the more well-off members' homes. Basically, they went in there and they took everything they wanted, and then they set it on fire. 
it's just unbelievable. A burnt offering is all I can imagine in God's eyes this could possibly be. And I don't wish this kind of deprivation on anybody in the family of God or any other person in the world. And yet you're facing it, and you have said, and you've prepared your people that when persecution comes, it will be literal. It will be something that's unavoidable. And if God permits it, we have to figure out how we're supposed to be responding within it so that the gospel may advance and the kingdom grow. It seems like a very costly investment in the kingdom for your people. You're on the front line, and you're paying the price right now. And there's not many Bible agencies I know of, John, in this world who are also a fellowship of believers rooted to a geographical area that has had a worldwide influence like you have. But it's your people and your roots who responded to the gospel 150 years ago that became a powerhouse of the gospel and a transformed society because of it that are now paying the price on the front lines for their faith. We need to obviously be praying for you day by day. And my friends out there listening to this program, I would say, please be praying for John and Lam as they have to discern where and when to be in order to lead by example and to faithfully encourage their people to endure and to outlast. And when the time comes to be healers, even though they're the ones that deserve to be ministered to, you know that God's going to call them to be the leaders in addressing the needs of those who suffer around them too. So please be lifting them up. And as you're giving to the Compassion Radio and to the Bibles for the World projects that we've talked about this year, you know, sometimes those most gospel and scripture-forward ministries do the thing to make it possible for those to hear the gospel. And that means literally, in this case, probably rebuilding homes, providing food and shelter for those who have been persecuted and oppressed. It's all part of the same thing. This is the gospel. This is the word in action. So as you're giving, you're helping all these things. And you're helping the future of the Word of God around the world by investing in those who are faithful to it. So I ask you to give as generously as you can. So, John, I know we have a lot more to talk about this as soon as you have more reports. But for right now, give me a closing word and a focus for our people so they know how to pray and how to think about what's happening right now. Well, Bram, I do appreciate your call to prayer. And that was something I just started putting it out as the situation started to develop and you were one who received it. Um, I want to tell you, I put it out across, the, literally across the world to partners. One of them was a pastor missionary from Nigeria who's working now in Uganda. And of course, Nigeria has faced a lot of this huge type of persecution and oppression. And he just came back to me almost immediately with a word from the Lord. And it's from Second Peter 2.9. And he said, this is the promise for you. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Hmm and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And it was just a word that just said, hey, don't worry about the punishment. Don't worry. Keep the people from retaliating because God is the ultimate judge on the day of judgment. He's going to deal with that. And he is also going to be there to rescue his people from the trials they are facing. And so I'm just I'm just claiming that promise, mm. that word from the Lord. Yeah. Just want all the listeners to also join with us in prayer praying that prayer for everyone who's there on the front lines uh, in the state and money poor as these things are developing. Okay, you've heard it from the mouth of the man who's at the lead of this charge here on the spiritual battlefront. And I do mean it's a spiritual battle. This is one that is in the heavenlies and it has vast consequences here in the temporal world. But this temporal battle, the one that we're facing, is not the only one that's going on. It's not the deepest issue either. It is at the heart of what it means to follow Christ in the 21st century. That's the battleground here. 
So John Badiety and his whole family of Bibles for the World and the network of churches and schools throughout Northeast India, which depend upon his leadership and example, are counting on us to lift them up in their hour of need. So please, please do that. And as soon as you have more news, John, please let me know so we can get you back on the air to follow up on what the needs are as they make themselves apparent, what the condition of your people that are running loose in the hills trying to find shelter and those who are standing in the cities to be a testament and to be a sentinel for peace and for a future that's full of hope and transformational gospel, that they don't run from the fight if God tells them to stay put, that he would protect them while they're standing. Thank you, Bram. We will definitely keep you updated. Just really appreciate your response to this and just want to, again, tell the listeners, just keep praying. Amen to that. It's been John Podiety of Bibles for the World on his way between many big responsibilities he has as the head of this organization, but also where his heart lies in the southeast part of Asia, at the very tip of India. His people are under attack, so please keep that in mind as you pray day by day. Thank you again, John, for joining us today. Thank you. If you found any encouragement from what you've heard today, we'd really like to hear from you. Our email is info at compassionradio.com. And there's also a feedback and prayer request form on our website. Again, that's CompassionRadio.com. Our continuing project in 2023 is to provide more Bibles through our partner, Bibles for the World. Please give generously today so that we can help send more copies of the Gospel of John for new believers, along with New Testaments and full Bibles for those growing in their faith. Many of those Bibles are needed right now in Vietnam as the door stands wide open to receive these gifts and serve the church there. Call 1-800-868-2478 and note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And jump in anytime at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friends, so drop us a line today.